Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather every Sunday morning in person and online at 10.30 a.m. In person, we're all wearing masks, we're social distanced, we're doing all the things to be safe. Uh, Even though, quite honestly, near as I can tell at this point, about 90% of our folks at least have the first dose of the vaccine, and most folks at this point are uh, on the second dose if they got the Pfizer or the Moderna. Um, And so... Uh, We're in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We have small groups that meet throughout the week. Uh, The small groups connect with one another, pray together, pray for each other. Um, We have questions that we go over uh, that involve uh, what we're studying this morning in our Bible study. And uh, we have a small group on Sunday morning. We have a young adult small group on Tuesday nights. We have youth group on Tuesday nights. Uh, And then we have a Zoom small group every Wednesday night. And if you need the link for that, you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com. If you uh, want to worship the Lord and support the work that God is doing here at Faith on Hill through giving of of resources and finances, you can go to our website, uh, faithonhill.com backslash give, uh, or you can give in person. Uh, You know, we're not the church that uh, is trying to squeeze people for money. Uh, If this isn't your church home, uh, then just ignore this part of the announcements. But uh, if this is your church home, we invite you uh, to worship the Lord through the giving of our resources. And we encourage everybody to be generous. Uh, If this isn't your church home, but you've you've got the ability to be generous, then be generous however God leads you and and however opportunities arise. At the end of our time together, we are going to have a time of response through prayer. And that's something that we started about a month ago. And and I would love to hear um, how that's going. So you can send me an email or a Facebook message or uh, just comment in the chat. But we'd love to know how people are uh, connecting with or responding to that uh, time of guided prayer. Uh, If you have a Bible, open to the book of 1 John, chapter 2, as we continue our study in Christian living. This morning, we're going to talk about real discipleship. Well, if you have your Bible open to 1 John chapter 2, let's read together. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing to make them stumble. But if anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness and they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Let's talk about what this means. 
The big idea for this morning is real discipleship. First and foremost, I want to say that Jesus wants you to be his disciple. Jesus wants you. Verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus didn't just die for you so that you could go to heaven. He didn't just die so that, all right, you're good. You get to go to heaven now, and now just leave me alone. He died to restore the relationship between God and his people that was broken when humanity fell into sin in the Garden of Eden. He wants you. He died for you. Now, it's not the main thing we're talking about, but sometimes Christians have wrestled with the question, did Jesus just die for believers or did he die for everyone? Well, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, the sins of the whole world, and I believe it means everyone. Well, does that mean that everyone's going to go to heaven? No, because you have to place your faith in what Jesus did on the cross Believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. What does that look like? Jesus values you and me. And he values us so much that he died for us. Some insight into that is actually found in Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. And he tells a couple of stories. He says, the kingdom of heaven, that's us, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who goes into a field and he finds a great treasure. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you've been uh, to the beach. You know, you go out to Lincoln City or Newport or Seaside and and there's always somebody that's zoop, zoop. You know, they've got that metal detector out and they're beachcombing. Well, imagine that guy went out into the the field and he didn't just find, you know, uh, some some coins that somebody had dropped or he didn't just find somebody's watch that had been left, uh, but he found a great treasure, jewels and gold and silver and coins. And what does he do? So Jesus said, oh, that, you know what that man does? He goes home and he sells everything he has to buy that field. And people say, you're crazy. But he knows that in that field is a great treasure. And then Jesus told another story. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a pearl of great value. And so again, he goes and sells everything so that he could get this pearl because this pearl is worth more than everything he has. Jesus gave everything. Jesus, equal as God, with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, it says in the book of Philippians that he lowered himself to come to this earth for us. Jesus who was in full unity with God the Father. And yet on the cross, the Father turned his back on the Son because he could not look at sin. Jesus, who had done no sin, became sin in our place. That's giving everything for you and for me. The church is God's great prize. Jesus didn't just die so that you could go to heaven. Jesus died so that you could be his church, his people, his disciples. What is a disciple? You know, uh, I was 
January of 2020, just before everything shut down, right? And I was at school, uh, it was one of the school weeks, and we were in this small group discussion, and we were supposed to talk about being discipled. And as we went around the room, people were sort of complaining about feeling like they had never been discipled. And, and after a while, my friend Pastor Josh, a great guy, youth pastor over at our sister church, uh, Valley View, over in Happy Valley, and he said, you know, I think what you guys are saying is you want to be mentored. And there's a difference. Mentorship, you know, I'm thankful for godly men and women who have mentored me, some formally, some informally. They showed me how to be a, a husband, a father, showed me how to be a pastor or a Bible teacher, showed me how to uh, just, you know, treat people or live life. I'm thankful for mentors in my life. But he was saying, hey, you know, I think you're talking about mentorship. Discipleship is something different. Being shown how to be a disciple of Jesus, what is a disciple? If somebody mentors me, they're just kind of showing me some things, but I can choose to adapt or not. A disciple is somebody who becomes exactly like their master. My master does this, then I do that. My master doesn't do that, then I don't do that. Now, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about creating a list of things so that I can look good to other people. But I am talking about becoming like Jesus. Jesus values us so much that we are the great prize that he died to redeem. And he wants to make us like him. A disciple is not just a fan of Jesus. And there's a lot of people who are fans of Jesus. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is not just an admirer of Jesus, and there are plenty of people who admire Jesus as a moral teacher, uh, somebody who uh, exemplified love or hope. A disciple is an adherent, uh, uh, somebody who is, is, is adhering directly to the words of Jesus. And there are a lot of people who are just fans, a lot of churchgoers who are just kind of fans of Jesus. Yeah, I like Jesus, you know, he's our, he's, a, he's our savior. He saved us from sin. He's kind of like our, our role model. But he's not our Lord or our master. And in verse 4, I believe that John the apostle, who heard Jesus directly, who saw and observed Jesus' whole life and ministry and teaching and experienced and, and touched the risen Jesus. He said, you want to know what a disciple is? Verse 4. Anyone who says, I know Jesus, but doesn't do what Jesus commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. There's plenty of people that, that say, oh, I, I, I know Jesus. I'm good with God. I'm a believer. And then there's no evidence of that in their life. Well, Adam, I thought we were saved by grace. I thought it was nothing that we did. It's everything Jesus did, sure. But if something happens, there's an, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For, for, for Jesus doing his work in our lives, then that work should have some kind of evidence. American Christianity really likes the conversion, you know, the altar call. You know, uh, my, my parents' generation uh, grew up with Billy Graham and, you know, Billy Graham go to a stadium, the stadium fill up with people and he'd say, come down to the front and give your life to God. And it's that moment. We love that. What happens beyond that? Uh, what happens 10 days, 10 months, 10 years after that? 
John's challenging people. You say that you know Jesus. You say that you're a disciple of Jesus. If you're a disciple, then that should be seen in your life. It's one of the tensions in our faith. Disciples aren't just fans of their master, but they are followers of their master. And religious people, they will follow a word of God, but disciples obey his word. Secular people might like Jesus' message, but disciples live Jesus' message. And this is a challenge that believers constantly have to wrestle through. That, um, you know, uh, you, you might be totally good with parts, parts of Jesus' word, and then there's other parts that are very hard for you. Maybe they're hard for you because of your temperament, your political persuasion, um, your, your philosophical views, your experience. But they're there, and we have to wrestle with them, engage with them. I think a lot of people are fine with just ignoring them, and John's saying, no, that's not how it works. Disciples aren't just fans, we're followers. And that means that I'm going to submit myself continually you know, um, one of the challenges that we're working through right now as, as a family of churches in the Pacific Conference is, is we're having discussions about um, the role of women in, in leadership in our churches. And I'm thankful for the, the godly women that God has uh, given to Faith on Hill to serve and to help lead our church. And we, we've been discussing it and and going back and forth and different leaders and different churches are, are talking and some of our churches feel one way and some of our churches feel another way and some of our churches are kind of split. Some of the people think this, some of the people think that. We always have to be wrestling and engaging. Quite honestly, I believe that there are people who hold a view that I disagree with, but they do so because they are genuinely trying to follow Jesus as closely as they can and there are people who hold the view that I agree with who do so not because they're trying to follow Jesus as closely as they can, but because it fits their cultural background or their personal preference or whatever. And I think the same is true the other way. I think there's people that hold a, an opposite view that I do, uh, and they do so because it just fits their background or their cultural preference or whatever. We all have to wrestle and engage so that we are full followers of Jesus. There are all kinds of issues like this all throughout the church. But the big idea is that we aren't just fans, but we're followers. And then John gets specific. He doesn't just say, hey, don't, don't just say, I know Jesus, live in his word. And then he gets specific. He says, you want to be, Jesus wants to make you his disciple. And disciples aren't just fans. And if you want to be a disciple, our master loves the church. Verse 9, he says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. And anyone who loves a brother or sister is in the light. And there's nothing to make them stumble. In verse 8, he says, I'm not writing you a new command. It's the same as from the beginning. And then he says, but I am writing you a new command. What does that mean? I believe that there are biblical gospel truths to our faith 
that have always been there from the very beginning. But sometimes, either individual Christians or churches collectively have forgotten them. And so this old command that's always been there becomes a new command. Or we have a new situation, a new context, and we understood how to love our brother or sister then, but how do we do it now? That's a big challenge. I knew how to love my brother or my sister when I was in my 20s, but how do I love my brother or my sister when I'm in my 40s? I knew how to love the church in the 90s, but I don't know how to love the church in 2021. John says, if you love your brother or your sister, well, who are my brother or sister? Jesus actually said this, who are my brother? Who's my sister? Who's my mother? Who's my father? Because his mother and his brothers had come to where he was ministering and they were trying to get special access to him. And he said, my brothers and my sisters, my family are all who do the will of my father in heaven. So what, what Jesus is saying to give us clarity to what John is saying is when, we, when John says, love your brothers or your sisters, he's not just talking about your physical, biological family. He's talking about any and all who are believers in Jesus. And at the same time, it would be weird for me to not, as best as I can, show love to my actual biological family. And sometimes it's both. Jesus loves the church. How can I love Jesus and hate his church? Imagine if you invited me to your house and you opened the door and I came in and you said, Adam, we're so glad you're here. And you, of course, know my family. Here's my kids. Here's my spouse. And I ignored them and I just only wanted to talk to you. And then your kids said hello and I pretended that they weren't there. Your spouse said hello and I just treated them with contempt. How would you feel about that? I know how I would feel if you came to my house and I said, well, you know my wife and here are my kids and you just ignored them. And you said, I only want to deal with you. I know how I would feel about that. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. But Jesus loves the church. And again, I fully acknowledge that the church has not always been a safe place for Jesus' people. I fully acknowledge that. And like I said last week, if this church wasn't a safe place for you, I'm here to listen and hear your story. Even if it had nothing to do with me, it was from years and years ago, and you say, well, you weren't even here. Well, I'm here now, so I'm the guy who's here to listen. In fact, I heard about a pastor, a church that had just gotten so toxic, it, it had to shut down. And uh, he was part of shutting it down. And, and then he, on his own dime, um, he didn't even live in the city, but there was a group of people who just still had all kinds of grievances. And, and he, on his own dime, flew back several times to that city. He was living on the other side of the country, but he said, I heard that you had grievances from long before I was a pastor there, but I was the last pastor before that church shut down, so I'm the guy that was holding the bag, so I will hear you. And he, he did that for them, which I thought was incredibly, uh, it was just awesome, really. Um, and I know some of the people who had those grievances, and I, I know that they appreciated it. So 
So acknowledging that the church has not always been safe for believers. Jesus loves the church. And so if I come to church, but there's somebody that is sitting in the row opposite me who I refuse to talk to, that's not being a disciple. If, if we as, as a church, Faith on Hill, say, oh, Jesus loves the church, but we ignore all of the churches in our community, or we ignore the churches in our church family in the Pacific Conference, that seems to not be living as a disciple of Jesus collectively. But it, truthfully, that's how it is that there are churches who live apart from all the other believers in their community. And there are individual Christians who live apart, even if they show up to church every Sunday. But I will ignore them. I won't value them. Jesus loves his church. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, the Bible says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Remember I said a minute ago, if Jesus has done his work in your life, then there should be evidence of that work. Does that mean that we're perfect and we always make the right choices? No. And that's why it says in verse 2 that if we do sin, we have an advocate, Jesus, who goes before us to make things right. But if I'm going to be a disciple... If I'm going to be a disciple, if I'm going to be like my master, Jesus, then, then I am going to live in that love for other people. And I'm going to be honest, it's not easy. This last year, the church of Jesus in our community has had to wrestle. We have political divisions. We have social divisions. We have all kinds of ways that we could divide. Are you a mask-wearing church? Or are you a non-mask-wearing church? Are you a, uh, a church that votes this guy or that guy? Are you, a, are you, what are you? And we can choose to live in those divisions or we can choose to say, no, we are the people of Jesus. We are not of this kingdom. Let's go back to our exile study from Daniel. We are exiles. We aren't living in the ways of this divided world. We are going to choose to recognize each other as sisters and brothers. Does that mean we agree on everything? No. Just before I started recording this, I saw on Facebook uh, somebody I've known for years and they posted something and, and they love Jesus, but I was so mad at her. I couldn't believe she posted that kind of nonsense. And, and I had to kind of pray through it. Like, oh, I, I just, and, and, but she's, she's my sister in Christ. This, this last week, I've been wrestling through how do I love my enemies? And if I'm honest, I was listing in the, that enemies other Christians. I'm not telling that to be proud of that. I'm just saying, like, I'm just being honest. This is what I've been praying through. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. And you might say again, Adam, I thought we didn't have to do anything. Jesus paid it all. We're going to read in our time of, of prayer response, you know, a verse that says that it's nothing that we have done that has saved us. It's only the work of Jesus. But, but here, you just said work hard. And here, John says that we have to love our brothers and sisters to show that we're in Christ. Which is it? It's one of the great tensions of the Christian faith. Here's something that is true. We are only saved by the grace, the undeserved grace of God through Jesus' death and resurrection. That's true. 
work hard to show your salvation with fear and trembling. That's also true. And these two things war with each other. The Eastern Orthodox Church and the Eastern Church in general has an emphasis on the church. Jesus saves the church. So if you want to be saved, you need to connect with the church to connect with Jesus. I don't believe that's true. The Western Protestant Church, which we would be connected with, emphasizes individual salvation. I believe that's true. No one can go to God for me. No one can go to God for you. Only you can come to Jesus. Only I can come to Jesus for myself. But I'm going to suggest, and I'm getting this from reading First John, and I think this is something that's going to come up again and again as we talk about Christian living, that real discipleship is very connected to the church. Real discipleship is very connected to the church. Am I saved by going to church? No. Plenty of heathens have gone to church their whole life and are dead in their sins because they have not given their faith in, to Jesus Christ. But if I try to connect with Jesus and ignore his church, then it's the same as you trying to connect with me and ignoring my family. It's just not going to work. And if I want to work out and show the work of God in my life, part of it's going to be being connected to church. Now, one of the big debates that's happened in the last year is online church church. Depends on what you mean by that. I do not believe for one moment that our church ever shut down. This time last year, no one was meeting in person. We were 100% online, and I believe that we were having church. And we've continued, even though we have had in-person since last summer, we've continued to do an online service, and we will continue to do it because I believe it is a good thing. I, I believe it's good that if somebody is sick, not even just COVID, right, like you have the, the cold or the flu, and, and nobody wants your germs. Stay home, blow your nose, drink some, you know, eat chicken soup, and, and you can watch the online service. You know, you're out at the Oregon coast for the weekend. Enjoy your time at the coast, log on, worship with us, and then we'll see you next week. And I know that, that there are folks who haven't uh, felt safe being in public. Uh, they haven't um, felt comfortable. There's been different situations. Some of you have caregiving responsibilities, so you need to be very guarded. Totally understand that. This is not me guilting you. But in the long term, in the long term, my encouragement would be to return to connected church life because Jesus is with his people. And if we're disciples of Jesus, we're with the people of Jesus, even though sometimes the people of Jesus are frustrating to be around. They're his people. And I'd rather lean into that because Jesus is there than to have an easier path where Jesus isn't. I'm not saying what I just said is easy, but I'm saying it's good. And you say, well, you're a pastor. Of course you're going to say that. If you want to compare scars, <laughs> you know, it's good and it's worth it. And following Jesus is always worth it. So let's take these thoughts and maybe you're going to have to wrestle with them in prayer and in your own study. That's fine. Maybe I said something that's challenging and you have a question. I'd much rather somebody come back and say, you said this and I, I don't think I agreed with it. Let's talk about it. That's fine. So um, 
Let's respond to God now in prayer as we go into our time of response through prayer. And hear, Jesus, you've been speaking to me. Let me respond to you. Well, as we have had this time in God's word, I believe that God has been speaking to us, his people. And so we want to respond in worship. And online, we respond in worship through prayer. And so I would invite you to enter a posture of prayer, whatever that looks like for you, whether your eyes are closed or open, whether your hands are folded or lifted or just in your lap, whether you're standing, sitting, or kneeling. However a posture of prayer looks like for you, I invite you to enter that in this time. I also invite you to be free in your use of the pause button, whether you're watching online uh, or you're watching, uh, listening through an audio podcast, that you would be free to use the pause button. If you need to linger in prayer over an issue or a subject or something that God's stirring in your heart, feel free to pause, pray more, and then unpause and continue with us. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you that you invite us to connect with you. Thank you that you have made the way of connection through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We respond to the command in your scripture that says to lift holy hands in prayer. And so we lift our hands holy because you have made us holy. And as I read these verses from Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to listen and key in on a few words or phrases. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived now uh, among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that you would make us aware of your presence in this moment right now. I pray that you would help us to be aware of our emotions, of our concerns, of our thoughts, of our hopes, of our fears. And I would invite you in this moment to speak forward a word or a phrase that connected with you. You were. You lived. But we have been made alive. Speak out a word or a phrase that connected with you as God has been speaking to you. And now invite us to think about our past week and our week ahead, how these words apply to those things that we have experienced and those things that we see coming, and ask God specifically, you know them, I don't, you do, 
Name them directly. Lord, we see strife in this world. We see division. We see tension. We see war and rumor of war. And yet we know that you have raised us out of the darkness and brought us into your light. Thank you for that, Lord. And now as I continue to read, and again, feel free to hit pause. Feel free to linger. Verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Again, I invite us to think, to dwell, what stood out to you? A word, a verse, a phrase, and pray over these things. Lord, this spoke to me. Help me to understand. This spoke to me. Help me to respond. This spoke to me. Thank you for that encouragement. This spoke to me. Thank you for that challenge. And Lord, as we have come before you, we remember that your kingdom is both already and not yet. Your kingdom is established and here, and it is still something to be established. So we pray your kingdom come, your will be done in our world as it is in heaven. Thank you that you have given us all that we need. Help us to see it more clearly this week. We pray that you would breathe that truth in our lives. We have been saved by grace, and we have nothing to boast in except the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. God bless you, and we'll see you this week in the small groups and next week online at 10.30 a.m. Faithonhill.com, our Facebook page, and Apple Podcasts and Spotify for the audio-only version. God bless you.